Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Money Wise with Ray Lance of USA Wealth Group, your financial and retirement guide. And thanks so much for making us a part of your Sunday morning listening pleasure. You know, the mission of USA Wealth is to help you protect your family and protect your money. Ray, good morning. Good Sunday morning, Phil. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Money Wise. We're going to talk today about college financing, college aid, a very important subject. I would be willing to bet that there isn't anybody out there listening today. If you've had somebody in college or if you've been in college yourself, graduated from college, who hasn't finished school with significant student loans, for example, and without student loans today for most people, college would not be possible. Um, so we're going to talk today with a gentleman named David Allen, who's the Director of Financial Aid from Bristol Community College. He's also currently acting as Dean of Advising, so he's wearing two hats at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it must be pretty busy for you. Good morning, David. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for being a guest on our show today. You've been with us before about a year ago, and we appreciate it very much. You know, Phil, um, I had forgotten that uh, – you and David Allen and myself have something else in common. What's that? We have all been members of the Masonic Fraternity. That's right. And so we have another special bond that we share between us. So good morning, brothers. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> We're going to open large. Wonderful fellowship <laughs> yes. here. Yeah, right. Yeah, we could do that, couldn't we? That's funny. Well, um, but we are going to talk about financial aid. You know, it's such an important subject today, and if you have anybody who's in college, going to school, thinking of going to school, you need to plan early because oh, yes. college costs today are so expensive. Uh, in just the last 10 years, we've probably seen a five- or tenfold increase in the cost of college. And uh, a lot of people graduating from college today end up with massive amounts of student loans. We're going to address some of that today, too, because there are a number of loan forgiveness programs. And as a quick example, just to give you a little bit of uh, foresight in what we're going to be talking about, if you become a teacher, for example, or if you work in certain government occupations or go into the military, then there are programs for forgiveness of student loans as well. And so that will continue to direct where a lot of people end up with their careers. But... um, First, a couple of remarks from some of our famous philosophers in the past. Uh, Edmund Burke once said, education is the chief defense of nations. There's absolutely no question that having an education is critically important today for many, many people. And um, unfortunately, the cost keeps rising every year. Benjamin Disraeli, uh, former prime minister of the country of Israel, once said, the great success The great secret of success in life is for a man to be ready when his opportunity comes, including through education. Hmm. And education provides the opportunity for so many, many people. And then, of course, our dear friend Plato. You remember Plato? Um, uh, Related to him, actually. You are related. Mm -hmm. Plato Paleologus. (laughs) Plato once said, the direction in which a man's education starts will determine his future in life. Ah. So there's no question that we all understand the importance and the value of education. But um, how do we pay for it? One general question I wanted to ask our guest today, David Allen from Bristol Community College, is 
Do you find that more and more people are looking to find financial aid today? Is it more of a problem today than it has been in the past? Yes, definitely. Uh, more people are looking to find ways to finance their education. We we try very hard at Bristol Community College to deter them away from uh, away from student loans, knowing that the way the job market currently is, it'll be difficult to pay back the student loan once they do find a job. And also they may be planning to transfer to a four-year institution, and we wouldn't want them to go into a uh, four-year institution with a heavy debt load, knowing full well that they will need to borrow when they when they do eventually transfer. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important point because graduating from school today with very large student loans can be a huge burden and really difficult for people to handle. By the way, if you have uh, student loans and you have financial issues, as a general proposition, student loans are not dischargeable as a debt if you had to file bankruptcy later. Uh, They have to continue. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about loan forgiveness programs. And the other interesting thing that's happening today is that more and more people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s and even 60s are still carrying student loans. And it's a fairly high percentage. I'm going to give you some statistics on that in a couple of minutes. But it's not just the young people graduating immediately from school who are concerned about student loans. It's people at every stage of life. So, David, you're absolutely correct. If you can get through school without student loans, then that's very, very important to do. I think just recently they re-aired a uh, segment on uh, the Chronicle where they interviewed a number of students, former students, and some of them had $250,000. So they're actually graduating from college looking for, uh, looking for employment and carrying what would be considered a mortgage. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. sure. Absolutely. You know, we need to perhaps go back to a, a time in this country when education was given an, an even higher priority than maybe it is today. Yes, we do have some loan forgiveness programs, but too many people are carrying a uh, really unrealistically unre- high debt level when they graduate from school. So, uh, David, let's talk a little bit about you and your background. Where did you go to school? Sure. I graduated from Salem State College a long time ago. Uh, I'm trying to remember the year at this point, 1992. And uh, from there, I worked at Salem State in the financial aid office, moved on to Eastern Nazarene College, then Boston University, then Suffolk Law, back to Salem State, and then finally landed back home at uh, Bristol Community College. Good. So you understand the importance of education because you're working in education. What does the Dean of Advising do? What do you do in the advising section as well as the financial aid section? Well, we want to make sure that there are counselors, advisors available to students to make sure that they're picking the right courses, uh, progressing through their academic program, and uh, hopefully leading to a credential that they could use in the, in, in the uh, field. Mm-hmm. And it is important to have that piece of paper because that's something once you have cannot be taken away from you again. And uh, that's what I try to tell people that I have contact with as well. Bristol Community College is an extremely important resource in our community. And I know you've got offices of the main branches in Fall River. Where else do you have locations? We also have locations in New Bedford, Attleboro, uh, Taunton, 
and our online uh, program, our distance learning program, has really started to grow as well. We've had some people on from Bristol Community College before, and I know one of the things that I've found out is that um, it's very easy to transition from graduating from Bristol Community College to going on to another state institution, a state university. We have a number of articulation agreements where these credits are just automatically transferred and really helps the student. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, so your main function still has been uh, directing the financial aid office, however. Yes. <laughs> it takes up a lot of my time, too. <laughs> uh, I, I recently found out that the uh, New Bedford Community Foundation uh, maintains a very comprehensive list of scholarships that are available. And I assume that one of the things that you might track also, well, maybe you don't. Maybe it's more a function of the local high schools. Um, would the high schools be more involved with helping students apply for scholarship aid, or is that something that your office does as well? We hope the guidance counselors are working with the students who are, are seniors getting ready to graduate from high school and move on. By the time the student comes to the college and comes to the financial aid office, a lot of these scholarship deadlines have already been passed. Some of them have a March 1st deadline, mm -hmm. and the student may still be deciding on where they actually want to attend college, but they've missed the deadline at, at the college for our own institutional scholarships. So we really rely on the guidance counselors at local area high schools to help these students as well. And I guess the one... Uh, and most important rule for applying for financial aid in general is to start early. And I assume for some people that could be as early as a sophomore year in high school to begin to think about it. Certainly by the junior year, if you haven't figured out what scholarships you might apply for, uh, it's getting late. Well, parents should be doing it e even earlier than that with a considerable rise in cost. MIFA has the U plan and the U fund where um, within the U plan, they could lock in today's tuition rates um, and use that. Uh, the U fund, you, there are cohorts of funds that are available where uh, it's, it would be based on the year, the graduation year of the, of the student, of the child. Mm -hmm. And MIFA stands for what? Mass Massachusetts Educational uh, Authority. Okay, good. And um, the message that I've discovered in looking at scholarships that are available in the community even right now, uh, we're into the month of um, May and heading into June uh, as we speak. Um, but um, a lot of the scholarships had application deadlines of April 30th or, or March 30th or April 1st. Uh, I was amazed when I looked at the website recently of the Community Foundation of Southeastern Massachusetts um, everybody's heard uh, of the Jacobs Family New Bedford High School Scholarships, which is an incredible award, and it's like $35,000 a year for four years for those students who are fortunate enough to qualify for those scholarships. But I'm literally looking at probably 30 to 40 different uh, organizations that award scholarships. Just a couple of examples. The College Club of New Bedford, uh, the Catherine Dunner Fund, the Half Marathon awards a scholarship. And if you haven't taken the time to research these, and if you've got somebody who's going to school maybe next year or the following year, you really ought to start finding out what these organizations provide and what their criteria are and 
try to figure out how to start to work on some of these applications. So look up the website for Community Foundation of Southeastern Massachusetts. It's a great resource because it has a very detailed list of all these local scholarships. And if anybody needs a copy, by the way, you're welcome to call my office at 508-998-8858. We'll be happy to send you a copy of that as well. And there's no obligation to do anything of that nature. So um, college costs have grown enormously, as, as we know. Um, private institutions are, uh, I've seen figures anywhere from 50 to 60 to $65,000 a year for one year in college for some of the private schools. And that's pretty unaffordable for most people. And um, uh, there is something called a prepaid college plan, though. I wasn't aware of that. Is that through the state of Massachusetts also? That would be through the Massachusetts Educational through Finance MIPA. Authority. Okay. Yep. Uh, that would be the U plan. The U plan. The okay. U plan. And, um, but that's only for probably 80 states. 80 colleges. That's not all the colleges within Massachusetts. So is, it's not just uh, public universities? Not it states. includes the public universities and some private But schools. also some private schools as well. Mm-hmm. Good. One of the things that we can help people with as well is uh, to um, show people how to do gifting, um, particularly if it's grandparents that might want to assist with helping a grandchild through college. There's a way to gift and there's a way not to gift if you want to help provide for college education. Uh, for example, a way not to gift is to simply write a check to the child and have them put it into their account or in their parents' account. Because if you do that, it's going to count against the child on their financial aid form when they do need to apply for loans. Um, rather, the grandparent can pay directly to the institution or can purchase the books and things of that nature. So there, there are good ways to gift and there are not good ways to gift. And it's important not to mix them up. Um, so let's talk about college cost in general. In um, a public four-year school in 1990, was as little as $1,780 a year in tuition and fees. In 2013, it was a little bit over $8,000 a year. Uh, that's a huge increase, even allowing for inflation. And then when you add room and board on top of that, uh, the numbers go from 1990 tuition fees, room and board, approximately $4,975, 2013, about $17,500. That's a monster increase. And that's for a four-year public school. Um, Average annual increases have been around $500 a year. And um, you need to plan all the time for these costs. Let me see if I have a spare pair of glasses to put on, (laughs) Phil. Doesn't it always happen at the other the worst one just time. fell apart? <laughs> See, I, mean, I always have a spare pair in my pocket. That is so cool. <laughs> now I can see what I'm looking at. Um, private two-year schools um, have gone anywhere from eighty-six, eighty-seven hundred dollars a year to as much as twenty-three thousand dollars a year. That's a private two-year college. Um, I'm trying to think of what some of the private two-year colleges might be. Um, Quinsigamond College, is that a public or a private school, for example? I can't remember. Do you have sure. You have Quinsigamond Community College. Yes. Yep, that's community college similar to Bristol Community it College is. located in Worcester. Yep. yep. I grew up in the Worcester area. You know, when I went to school, I went to school 
um, a long, 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 long time ago, David, before you even. A couple of more longs than I A couple I more longs. <laughs> I got a birthday card from my brother recently. When you open it up, it plays the Star Wars music. And the front of it, it says, a long, 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 <laughs> yeah. long time ago. And inside it says, you were born. <laughs> That's how I feel some days. But uh, when I went to school, um, my tuition at uh, Clark University, I think, was around $2,600 a year. And it's, it's better than 10 times that. It's probably more like 20 times that right now to go to school. So it's enormously expensive. And um, I basically put myself through school. I had some scholarship money, and I had some uh, federal grant loan, uh, federal loan monies, uh, which were paid off. Uh, but my parents didn't have the resources to pay for my education. They paid for approximately $2,000 of my total education, and I paid all the rest. And I'm sure that there's many young people out there today who uh, have the same situation where they come from families that simply do not have the resources to pay for college. So we have a double-edged sword problem here. We have the fact that um, college is uh, very, very expensive, and even public schools are becoming more expensive. And one of the things we have to first do when we uh, look for financial aid is fill out something called a FAFSA form. It's a uh, free application for federal student aid uh, is what it stands for. It's a little bit of a complicated form. I suspect a lot of people don't get it right and don't understand how to do it. Does your financial aid office help people with a FAFSA form? Absolutely. We have uh, walk-in office hours available both in Fall River, New Bedford, and Attleboro. We're in Fall River from 11 to 2. Uh, New Bedford would be Tuesday nights. Thank you for having it printed out for me at 3 okay. o'clock. <laughs> and Attleboro on Thursdays from 2 to 4. All right. So if anybody is looking for assistance on how to fill out this FAFSA form, which is really the centerpiece for applying for any kind of financial aid, you have to disclose everything that the parents have for assets and their expenses and their earnings and so forth. And then there's a formula that gets applied, and it determines how much money you might be eligible to receive for uh, student aid. And so once we have this FAFSA form filled out, which is step one, then a student aid report of some kind gets filled out. I'm not sure if that's what you call it Yes, at PCC. Uh, we usually start out with the with the FAFSA. We encourage everyone to to do the FAFSA online through the federal website. Uh, they do also have to create what is called this year. It's called an FSA ID, which is a federal student aid ID. That previously was called a PIN, personal identification number. They've changed it to this FSA ID. It takes a few steps in order to in order to complete that, and both the student and the parent would be able to also create this ID and use that to sign the FAFSA online. Uh, from there, the student would receive via email from from the federal gov um, federal government the student aid report. Institutions that are listed that the student lists at the end of the FAFSA also receive the same information electronically able to bring into their financial aid system and then be able to start crunching numbers and see if any additional information is required by the parent and the student. Mm -hmm. So it's a good organized system, but you have to understand how to complete this form or get some help on uh, completing it. 
And then I guess one of the numbers or one of the categories that you end up with is something called the expected family contribution amount. And so once you complete the FAFSA and go through this evaluation process, it comes up with a number and it says, based upon what your parents are earning, what the family resources are, this is how much money the family should be expected to contribute toward your education cost. And then from there, I guess it gets more interesting. Well, it gets interesting because as soon as the parent and the student see that figure, that figure is an index number used to determine what financial aid the student is eligible for. There is not a college that sees that expected family contribution. Sometimes we call it, we, we use acronyms a lot, so it just comes right out and says EFC. That is not, there isn't an institution that I've ever been associated with that expects the student to sit there and write out a check for whatever that number is. Mm-hmm. That is used more as an index number. And even even though we're not asking for write a, write a check for that amount, they should be able to at least finance that amount. That is what the government expects them to be able to contribute to their education. And that number does not change depending on what institution they attend. So if they're planning on going to Bristol Community College and the expected family contribution is 6000 that's 6000 at Bristol Community College. That's 6000 at MIT or Salem State College. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of the um, public institutions have large um, endowment funds that they will use to help students uh, go to school as well. Well, they actually call, um, they actually use uh, tuition discounting, where it's not really so much that it's institutional funds. What they are is is discounting the actual price for the student. There there really isn't money changing hands. They'll say an institutional grant, but they're never going to give them give the student more of this institutional grant than what actually tuition fees or room and board is. What they're doing is actually just bringing down the price for the student. So if you haven't figured it out by now, ladies and gentlemen, um, as we're talking with David Allen from uh, the financial aid director at Bristol Community College, the whole subject of applying for financial aid for school is very complex. And there are so many different resources that are brought to bear, both private, uh, state, federal. Uh, For example, I know on the federal financial aid side, there's something called the federal Pell Grants. And those are designed to assist uh, very low income undergraduate students and they're awarded based upon what this expected family contribution or EFC amount is. And so that's why you start with the FAFSA, you come up with the expected family contribution amount and then that might be uh, used to determine whether or not you might receive a federal Pell Grant and that's a grant, that's not a loan, it's not a scholarship, does not have to get repaid. So completing these is uh, very, very important We're going to talk about some more of the detailed and uh, specific information that's required. Uh, Number one rule is start early. Number two rule is to get some professional advice and professional help. Um, Applying for college is both an art and a science, and you really have to pay very close attention to the detail. The, The goal is to not end up with thousands of dollars and hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans. Uh, there's some other federal programs that we'll talk about in a minute. We're going to come back. Uh, you're listening to MoneyWise, brought to you by USA Wealth Group every Sunday morning. Uh, you can reach us at 508-998-8858, and we're happy to turn you in the right direction as well. And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with uh, David Allen, who's the financial aid director, 
from Bristol Community College. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Money Wise with Ray Lance of USA Wealth Group, your financial and retirement guide. And remember, the mission at USA Wealth is to protect your family and to protect your money. Great first half. Well, thank you, Phil. And uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about financial aid and how to keep the cost of education down. Uh, David Allen from Bristol Community College, who's the financial aid director, is with us this morning. He's been a guest on this program in the past. We were just talking at the break about a couple of important things. You know, there's so many things that go into this entire complicated equation of how how to pay for college. And one of the things is, can you take some courses in high school, for example, this is in the area of planning ahead. Can you take some courses in high school that might qualify for college courses? If you can do that, that means it's fewer college courses you have to take in school. And so you're going to save money. Uh, is there a name for that kind of a program, David? There is. It's called the dual enrollment program. And students would be able to use, for example, let's say they took an English composition course. They would be able to use that towards college credit as well as high school credit. As well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a dual program. So if you take perhaps, I know a lot of the schools have uh, advanced placement courses, and some of those courses will qualify for um, college credit as well. It's too bad that a lot of students take those AP, those advanced placement courses, but don't take the exam at the end oh, in order to earn hmm. the credits to be transferred to a college. All right, so that's a very important hint. If you take advanced placement courses, you must take the exam at the end. And if you do, then you can have that qualify as a college course. And if you take fewer college courses and get your degree faster, it's going to cost you less money. You know, we're talking a lot about scholarship aid, too. Um, It really is a separate research project, not only for the parents, but for the student and for whoever is advising them, too really try to investigate what kinds of scholarships you might possibly be eligible for while you're still in high school or preparatory school. Um, You might find, for example, that some scholarships are available to certain people of certain uh, particular groups. It could be a church group, so maybe you belong to that church. Uh, We've mentioned at the beginning of the hour that uh, the three of us all have a Masonic background. Well, there are several scholarships that are available for Children of Masons, um, sometimes it's for grandchildren, but because of the number of people applying for scholarships, typically today it's for children of Masons and children of Scottish Rite Masons, for example. Um, We have a a young man who's uh, the son of one of our office employees, and he decided to become a Mason at the age of 18. Um, This is not something you join just because you're looking to get a scholarship. Um, but if you become a Mason or if you have an Eagle Scout, Boy Scout background or a similar Girl Scout background, for example, there are going to be other scholarships you could be eligible for. As a quick example, the Scottish Rite Valley of Southeastern Massachusetts, I happen to be the scholarship chairman of that organization, and we award throughout the state probably 24 $1,000 scholarships. Well, that's a reasonable amount of money. 
and we probably only get about 40 applications statewide. So that's a very high ratio of people who will receive a Scottish Rite scholarship. Grand Lodge of Masons in Massachusetts has a similar thing, and they award usually a four or $5,000 a year scholarship. And typically, as long as people have kept up their GPA average, they're going to get that scholarship for four years. So uh, particular organizations will offer scholarship money, but you can't wait until the last minute and say, gee, I'm going to go to school next fall. It's now May. I better start thinking about scholarships. If you wait until May or June, it's going to be too late for most scholarships. You have to plan ahead. You know, Aristotle once said, Phil, that uh, education is the best provision for old age. The best. I agree. <laughs> and, and they didn't have formal education back then, but uh, he was certainly an educated thinker and a great man. But here's some things that you might need to know about paying for college. Um, uh, I want to come back quickly and talk about some of the federal sources, first of all. There's something called a Federal Supplemental Educational Opportunity Grant, FSEOG. It's like a Pell Grant. Uh, they're awarded to undergraduate students with exceptional financial need. There are Federal Perkins loans. Um, they do have to get repaid, but interest doesn't accrue as long as a student is in school at least half-time. Those are some of the federal programs that are available. Um, I want to give you some real general information. You have to start early, number one rule. Number two rule is you have to understand financial aid. Um, David, you do this on a full-time basis, and you direct a staff of, I think you said there were 11 people in your organization in Bristol Community College just in the area of financial aid. Just in the area of financial aid. We also have financial aid counselors, full-time financial aid counselors in New Bedford and Attleboro. And we do make visits to Taunton, um, depending on what type of workshop or what type of function that happens to be um, going on. We make sure that we show up and we attend and help those students at that time. Mm. Do you ever get involved with um, or do you ever see students who have been exceptional athletes in, in uh, high school that might go on to receive um, scholarships for playing in a particular sport? Do you see that situation at all? Not at, not at Bristol Community College. Okay, because you don't typically have those kinds of sports well, programs. We have we have an athletic program, but we are uh, Division Two, excuse me, Division Three, NJCAA uh, mm -hmm. institution, and there is there is enough scholarships available for athletes at Bristol Community College. That being said, we do have an exceptional athletic program both men and women's soccer, men and women's basketball, and co-ed uh, tennis. Mm, interesting. I have a, um, a client who played professional baseball. I think it was the Philadelphia Phillies. He only played for a couple of years, but a good athlete. He went to, um, he went to Boston College and played ball at Boston College, and then he was picked up as a professional. Um, and so in his family, they have one son, and that particular one son also picked up the father's sport of baseball, did very well, good athlete, uh, did well in high school, had the grades and the academics to get accepted to Harvard, and he played for the Harvard baseball team, and he had a four-year fully paid scholarship and didn't pay a nickel to go to Harvard. I was friends with Don Sweeney uh, for the Bruins, 
uh, when he was graduating from Harvard and started to play for the Providence Bruins and the Boston Bruins. And I used to tease him that he would make more money with his degree <laughs> than actually <laughs> sticking with the hockey. And uh, look at him now. <laughs> took off. Well, we can't always predict the future. No, can we? no. I'm glad he didn't listen to me. <laughs> but at least he got his degree. That's very important yeah. because at some point he won't be playing sports. At some point he'll be looking for another job, probably coaching or something. Um, there are so many financial aid options that you have to put together a package, don't you? It's really not just a Pell Grant. It's not just a scholarship. It's not just a, a loan. It's it's putting together a whole menu of choices, I guess, isn't it? Right. The What we start out with is looking at what the tuition fees and the books will be for, for a student for a particular semester. And we have to factor in the book costs. Uh, we're helping students with tuition fees, but the cost of books could also prevent the student from attending. The average cost could be between $200 and $250 per class. So we include that in the cost when we start to put together the financial aid package, we will always start with grants first and try to fill that gap between what tuition and fees are um, with their financial aid package, start to uh, build the grants around those costs, and then we would supplement any grants that the students is, is not available with with a student loan. We don't just go ahead and give the student a student loan. Mm -hmm. We put it out there as an offer. And we want them to think about it. We try to educate the student and the parents about the loan and and the and the payback of the student loan and the commitment of it. Uh, but we allow the student to decide whether or not to accept that loan. We want that to be a um, a choice rather than uh, a straight award. Mm -hmm. So you really, um, it's almost like negotiating in a way. I've I've read uh, articles and stories about the fact that sometimes a student may be accepted at two or three different institutions, and they'll each offer a slightly different package of financial mm -hmm. options and financial choices. And then sometimes a student may even negotiate and say, I can get this from this institution. If I could get a little bit more from your college, then I'd rather go there. Uh, do you ever see anything like that? Yeah, I, I did see a lot of that when I worked at Boston University, and usually that doesn't work out well for the student. This is your financial aid package, and mm. each institution has different costs. Each institution also has different funding levels as well. Um, they have different enrollment levels where they have to spread out the dollars to more students as, as well. Some, some institutions may be even trying to build up a particular program I remember when I was working at Boston University, they had a number of students who were applying to the School of Business, but they were trying to build up their hospitality program. So the financial aid package was a little bit sweeter, I mm -hmm. guess you would say, for the School of Hospitality because they were trying to increase those numbers. But I suspect for most students, they, they pretty much know which institution they want to go to and or which major they might want to specialize in and so forth. So... They might not really get involved in the negotiations, but it, it does become a matter of dollars and cents for, for some kids. You know, I was uh, talking just a few days ago with one of the uh, younger employees in the office um, who graduated from Bridgewater State University, and I asked if he had student loans, and he said, yes, he did. And uh, we were talking about the books. He said, oh, I was spending over $1,000 a year for books, and it staggered me. 
you know, I've been removed from that cost for such a long time. And that's cheap. A thousand dollars is cheap for a year. I would say that it's more like a thousand dollars a semester. Wow. Uh, but a student has a has a choice. They they don't have to buy the books at at the bookstore, the the university or the college's bookstore. They can also look if they're able to buy it online through Amazon. They can sometimes buy used books. Uh, a, a big step that institutions are trying to work with the students and lowering those um, those book costs is there um, some courses within a university or a college. They'll have online educational resources. It's called an OER, where there isn't an actual assigned book to the class, but there's free online information that the student could use. So I try to encourage a lot of students when they're selecting their classes and if cost is an issue to take a look and also see if the course is offering, um, as a choice, the OER, the online Mm -hmm. educational resources, just to cut back. Mm -hmm. When I was talking to this uh, young man in our office about the cost that he had paid for books, uh, I was really surprised. And then I started to think, you know, I used to think that, well, we give a $1,000 scholarship. It isn't a huge amount of money, but it's a big amount of money. Or if somebody's given a $500 scholarship, that might pay for books for a semester. So it's, it's all very, very, very helpful. Yeah. Every dollar counts. It really does. Um, I want to talk briefly about student loans. Um, I was, again, reading some articles recently about statistics on student loans. And um, at the end of 2014, only 37% of the 43 million student loan borrowers nationwide were making payments on time and reducing their student loan balances. I just want to repeat that quickly. In 2014, the end of 2014, only 37% of all the student loan borrowers were making their payments or making them on time. That, that really does impact the, the colleges because as these default rates increase, the Department of Education looks at every institution and what the default rate is for that particular institution. And as these default rates start to increase, the federal government can actually pull back the student loan program from that college mm. where they would not be able to use that as a resource for the students. So it's more and more colleges, more and more financial aid offices are working directly with the student, not only while they're in school, but years after that they've left the institution, trying to counsel them on repayment mm-hmm. and uh, different forbearance opportunities as well. The other thing I found and read is that two-thirds of the national student loan debt is held by people over the age of 30, two-thirds of it. And the average loan is about $31,000. Um, and it's not just a problem for younger people. Uh, increasingly, uh, people over the age of 60 now hold you know, billions of dollars of student loans, and that's rising fast. Part of it's because people got laid off, they went back to school, they took out student loans. And so now there's a goodly percentage of uh, uh, the loans uh, are held by people over 60 or owed by people over 60. So student loans are a problem. And it, it, again, highlights the need to look at the overall package of financial aid that's available. And um, the average student who did, does borrow money for their bachelor's degree will be at least $35,000 in debt um, when they graduate for student loans. And that number goes up every single year. 
uh, it's roughly $15,000 more than what it was 10 years ago, as an example. The class of 2015, just graduating right now from college, and I guess this makes sense when you think about it, uh, will be the most indebted class ever, uh, as I said, with $35,000. Until next year. Until next year. <laughs> and Yeah, that's, that's a really important point, David, because it is going up every single year. The class of 2015 will graduate with a total of about $56 billion in public and private loans, which is five times greater than it was in 1990. So um, how you plan for education and how you plan for paying for the cost of education is critically important. Now, the good news is that there are some student loan forgiveness programs as well, and some of them are fairly recent. Um, I've just picked up some stories on um, a program through the Obama administration. Um, the federal government will no longer give subsidies to private institutions, private lending institutions, for federally backed loans. I'm not sure what the rationale is for that, except they're trying to assume more direct central control of the loan program, I guess. Um, and then borrowers of new loans, student loans, starting in 2014 will qualify to be able to make payments based on 10% of their discretionary income. So the repayment formula is going to be impacted. It's not going to be you owe X dollars and you've got X number of years to pay it off. If your income is less, it's going to be based upon 10% um, of your discretionary income. So again, there's a formula. Of course, all that does is further extend the time period for when this, how long you're going to be living with this loan. Um, new borrowers might be eligible for student loan forgiveness after 20 years instead of 25 years. Now, this is a pretty sobering thought to think about having a student loan for 20 or 25 years, isn't it? Well, and that's, that's the mortgage. I was that's the mortgage. Yep. It's, it's like having a mortgage now to pay for your education. And, um, but in any event, there are um, play, ways to have different repayment plans. I'm not going to go into that in a lot of detail. There's regular standard repayment, for example, is just... You pay a fixed amount every month for the life of the loan, and at the end of the loan, the loan is paid off. Or you can do graduate, graduated repayment, or you can do an income contingent plan based upon the amount of income you're getting, but that's only going to extend the term of the loan, pay as you earn, and so forth. There are some interest forgiveness programs, and one of the things that people might want to consider is going into the military, or becoming a teacher, or working in a a public service agency where there might be loan forgiveness. So this is going to impact perhaps the kind of employment or job you might seek when you graduate from school. If you go into the military, uh, there's going to be provision for loan forgiveness. Uh, if you go into the military before you go to school, there are many programs through the Veterans Administration to pay for school in the first place. So if you're thinking that you don't have the money that you really need, you might consider the military as an option. Or you might think of teaching as a career so that you could forgive part of your student loan. Uh, the medical profession is really kind of interesting because I know of doctors who graduate from medical school with two and three hundred thousand dollars worth of student loans. Now granted they're going to make a lot of money, but David, as you said, this is a mortgage that they have to they're, pay off. And they're also going to be carrying all sorts of insurance as well. So yes, they are. <laughs> so don't think that 
You know, you have to feel badly for a doctor because they're making a lot of money, but if they have massive student loans to pay off, um, they're in just the same position as many other income earners. So military service has a number of programs. Uh, don't overlook that as a possibility. Let's assume you graduate from college, for example. Um, you could now become an officer in the military, and you could earn a higher level of income and have student loan forgiveness at the same time. So military is certainly an option, and uh, we don't want to overlook that. Again, I've got a great summary of all the education benefits that are available uh, through the military for tuition assistance or GI Bill rights in general, uh, active duty and veterans benefits. And I've got some really good charts that lay all this out. So if somebody is contemplating that, if they're about to graduate, uh, by all means, uh, take a look at that. So um, let's talk just a little bit about the student loans. We've been saying about how difficult it is for students to graduate with large student loan balances. We've talked a little bit about student loan forgiveness. Um, is the student loan calculation sort of like the last option or the last figure when you're putting together a package of financial aid benefits? Yes, absolutely. So what you don't have because of grants or Pell Grants or scholarships or student resources or parental resources, then the difference that you might still need could be made up with the student loan. And that's how you get to the calculation? Yes, the student loans. Now, Bristol Community College is, is a lower-cost institution as opposed to even UMass Dartmouth or any of your privates. There is a limit on how much a student can actually borrow. First-time freshmen, I uh, believe it's 3500 in the subsidized um in the subsidized student loan, and then another two thousand dollars in the unsubsidized student loan. So they're they're at a total of fifty five hundred. Now, if a student is planning to do it all on their own uh, and planning to go to one of the higher cost institutions, that fifty five hundred for the year doesn't even touch room and board. Mm -hmm. Never mind tuition and fees at that point. So there are parent loan options. There are alternative loan options as well. Okay. So think of going into a restaurant when you're looking at the menu and you're really hungry. Maybe this is not the best analogy, but it's the best analogy I have at the moment. You really need to pick and choose from a lot of different areas to put this all together. So I'm going to bring some of this together in a little bit of a summary form, but you have to start early. Number one, you have to investigate scholarships and there are a lot of myths about scholarships you don't have to be a straight-a student to qualify for scholarships but a lot of scholarships come from groups and maybe you can figure out whether you belong to a group or a family member belongs to a group um, there's there's such important things um, um, I always tell students let the let the scholarship committee uh, deny you don't deny yourself go ahead and apply you know that's such an important uh, tip um, when I went to college many years ago, I applied to one college because I didn't know any better. I applied to Clark University, very good school in Worcester, Mass. I was accepted, mm -hmm. and that's where I went to school. Um, nobody would do that today. Uh, you would typically apply for your safe school, your state school, the school you can afford, the school you'd really like to go to. And I guess it's not unusual to apply for a number of colleges today. 
and then make some decisions about where you'd really like to go and what you can afford. Um, I didn't know any better. I wasn't uh, given any guidance uh, back at that time, and I did receive an excellent education. But, uh, you know, there are other places that maybe I could have gone to that never occurred to me. Same thing is true, as you mentioned, with scholarships. Don't assume that you're not going to be awarded a scholarship. Apply and try. I've been involved in quite a few scholarship committees, and there will be occasions where the donor will give the money looking for one particular student. Let's say the student has to be from Westport. Well, we didn't get any applicants from Westport. The committee goes back to the donor and, and says, we don't have anybody from Westport, but would you be willing to expand that to, let's say, Dartmouth, Fall River, along those lines? And the donor sometimes says yes. So if you didn't go ahead and throw your hat in there, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have even been considered. Mm. Well, it's a very complicated subject. It's a very important subject. The work that you do, and uh, both in directing the department, department and the work that your department does is critically important. You just can't give enough advice to students today and potential students. You have to start early. You have to investigate all the scholarships and programs and uh, get some professional advice from your own guidance counselor. Uh, Call our office. uh, Get in touch with David Allen at the Bristol Community College. And um, we're all out here to work to try to help the, the young students, aren't we, David? Yes. Thank you so much for being with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, if you need more information, call our office at USA Wealth Group, 508-998-8858. We're here to serve the community. We're here to serve you and show you how to protect your family and protect your money. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next Sunday for Money Wise Radio. Remember, let the professionals at USA Wealth Group help you protect your family and protect your money. Have a safe week and a successful future. So long, folks.